0: seen people religiously following a term called God fearing. So people, like for example, people fast for many, many days and they sometimes even faint. Still they fear because you know God is watching them. That is the line in the quotes. So I want to know what level of God fearing is fair, or should we even fear God? Is it good or bad? Thank you. Lovely question. Pretty intelligent and extraordinary bunch this is, huh? Just freshly out of home, first semester, a few days in campus, very nice questions. Sit, please. See, the God that the commons worship is nothing but fear. And this is the complete answer. The rest of it will be simply elaboration on this one line and if you can understand the entire answer as i said is condensed in this one line the god that people commonly worship is simply fear our inner fear we give the form of an external god and start worshiping it just because you are afraid another name for fear is desire Another name for fear is desire. Now tell me, when you find people going to temples and mosques and churches and other places, what are they going there for? You'll find only two reasons. We have already named the reasons. Come on. Fear and desire. You're afraid. You want to worship. You have a desire, you want to pray. You have an exam, you suddenly remember God. You want money, you want fame, you want to win an election. You have three daughters, you desperately want a son, as Indians do. What do you do? You go to God. You are a rotten and corrupt man. And now there is vigilance and investigation in the department. And the long arm of the law is slowly reaching towards your throat. What do you do? God, 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 God. What kind of ritual, what kind of sacrifice, what method, what tona totka can I do? Is that true or not? When you are absolutely fine, blissful and contented, please tell me honestly, do you even think of God? No. I am not talking of the satisfaction that you get when a desire is fulfilled, I'm talking of your fulfillment, not the fulfillment of desire. I'm not talking of the situation where you got what you desired and so you say, thank you, God. When you are contented without desire, when you are absorbed, do you think of God? A simple question those of you who have been paying attention since the last 30 minutes not everybody those who have been almost continuously been attentive over the last 30 minutes please tell me how many times did you think of God that's what that's what ironically when you are attentive that is godliness And that's when you don't need to think of God strange difficult to understand these 30 minutes if you have been truly attentive are the truly godly moments of your life but in these moments you don't need to think of God so I repeat the God that we worship usually is just another name for fear and desire and that's the reason most people never really come to the truth Vedant which is the essence of the Vedas talks of Satya Satya Devi, Devta, Bhagwan, Ishwar all these are talked of can be kept aside finally what matters is satya another name for that satya is brahma or atma satya is what matters and that satya is beyond mind not a figment of the mind That sattya is something beyond the world, not the creator of the world. You think of God as somebody who created the world, right? Vidhan says this world, irrespective of whether or not it is created, is something that is appearing to you. You experience the world. You experience the world. What validity can we accord to your experience? The world, what is the definition of the world? Something that you experience, right? If you do not experience the world, does it exist? For you, that is. So the world is something that owes its validity to your experience. And who are you? What greatness is there in you that we start talking of the world as something real just because you experience it? You experience so many things. Are all of them real? In fact, all the suffering in life is because you have experienced so many things that were never real. You thought somebody loves you. And you really experienced it. Yes, yes, says, I'm so sure she loves me. She looked at me twice. <laughs> and then since five years you are roaming around with a broken heart. Twice she looked at me. And then she ditched. That's the substance of our experience. We can experience anything. Just because you experience something, that does not make that thing real. So God as creator of the world is not something that mature and wise people think of they rather want to know sattya truth what is the truth no seeker no shish no student in the upanishads ever asks the knowers the sages the rishis please tell me about ishwar or bhagawan the question always is what is the come on truth 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 and the rishi Smiles and says, no, 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 I would rather tell you about Maya. Why talk about Satya? Satya is something we cannot really talk of. Let's rather talk of that which keeps Satya away from us. Let's talk of the wheel that separates us from the truth. And that is called Maya. Let's talk of Maya. Let's talk of Maya. And everything you can think of is taken as Maya. Every single thought, concept, experience is Maya. Because the experiencer is you. Who are you? You are called Aham, Ahankar, Ahanta. Because you experience something, that's why that thing is not valid. That's how important our status is. That's how great we are. How do you like it? (laughs) If you are experiencing something, that thing becomes unreal just by the virtue of your experience. Is the thing real? Did you experience it? Yes, I did. Then it is not real. (laughs) Then it is not real. Are you getting it? One has to have love for the truth, love for the truth, Truth truth-loving, not God-fearing. And if God can be another name for truth, then wonderful, then fine. What do we mean by the truth? That which never changes, that which is not a product of our imagination. That which has neither been created nor can be destroyed in the stream of time, that is the truth. That something totally dependable, that is the truth. When something changes, it disappoints you, does it not? Often you curse your friends, "Eh, you have changed. And if you have boyfriends or girlfriends, they too, please never change. And someday you start doing something strange, you're no more the same man. And that's supposed to be such an allegation. You can be jailed. You're no more the same man you were 15 years back. That's such a deception. 15 years you changed. Vedant realizes that you are changing every nanosecond. Everything is changing every nanosecond. That's why nothing is dependable. That's why nothing really is the truth. That's why everything is called as mithya. Because it is not what it appears to be. The next moment it's gone. It's a stream. Does the stream have anything permanent? It just appears to be permanent. But nothing in it is stationary. Everything is just temporal, spatial, in a flux. Hmm? So, the sanatan stream has talked of that which is dependable, that you can live by, that is worthy of falling in love with and that is satya. God in that sense is really an alien concept and God fearing is a childish and even dangerous concept. What do you mean by fearing God? Is God some monster or what? What what God are you talking of? Some character you have built up in your mind, who is all the time keeping a watch, noting down every small thing that you do, and will later on reward or punish you for your actions? What kind of fairy tale is this? Vedant is for mature people, Vedant is for intelligent people. Vedant says, we want to investigate into the truth. We want to ask. We want to discuss. Let there be questions. Let somebody respond. And when somebody responds, we come up with a counter question, a rebuttal, a rejoinder, something. Are you getting Don't you like that? Vedant does not preach, Vedant asks. And the fundamental question Vedanta asks is not about God. It is about who you are. And your own essence is the truth. Because you have to live with yourself. And that's the fundamental reason for suffering. You do not know who you are. You do not know who the experiencer is. Therefore you keep trusting all his experiences. Is it getting too heavy for you? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. How many of you are getting a bit of what I'm saying in this question? How many of you? Oh, that's consolation. How many of you are not getting at all? Please, I need to know. Hmm. Thik, 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 thanks. Interestingly, when we talk of God, you would have heard the term astic and nastik. Have you? Do you know the real meaning of these two words? I'm so sure many of you don't. Astik is one who is interested in the truth. Who is leaning towards the truth. Astik is not someone who believes in God. Sorry. Belief has no place in real spirituality or Vedanta. No question of believing or manneta. I believe in this and that thing. No, 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 no. That is not spirituality. Spirituality is as rigorous as science and mathematics. Do you believe in science or do you test things out? Do you believe in mathematics or do you ask for proofs? That's how real spirituality is. It does not take one step without proofs. In fact, it is more rigorous than science because science asks for proof only in the external domain, in the perceptible world. Spirituality, Vedanta, asks for proofs even in the inner world. They say, please tell us, how do you believe something? What is a valid source of knowledge? We will not just believe something. Now, those who take religion as a belief system, must check themselves. Religion is not a belief system. God is not something to be believed in. Astic is someone who investigates into the truth. The, the word is investigation, not, not belief. A believer is not a religious person at all. A religious person is an inquisitive one, a religious person is one who asks questions. Unfortunately, the kind of religion most of us follow, questions are barred and questioners are damned. If you ask too many questions, you are kicked out. Whereas true religiosity is to keep asking questions and questions. Upanishads have passages where a lady is asking the sage so many questions, so many questions, continuously page after page, questions, questions, questions. Ultimately, the sage gets fed up. He says, if you ask any more questions, your own head will burst. Please stop. The lady has one, actually. Because the point has come when the sage is left with no answers. And when there are no answers, ironically, the sage too has one. Because to bring you to a point of no answers, a point of silence, is the entire point of spirituality. Question, answer, question, answer. Unyielding inquisitiveness. That's what religion is. Hmm? So if, if you want to really know the truth of everything, then you are astic. Whereas if you just believe in some fairy tale, some story, something that your seniors, your parents, the tradition and the society gave you, you are an astic. Now tell me, how many of you are truly astics? How many of you really question everything? Don't just take things at face value. That's what. Majority of people who call themselves astics are simply believers. And a believer is nastik of the worst kind. Are you getting it? You don't have to believe in anything. Anybody who comes to you and says, please believe in this, else you are a sinner, turn your back to that person. A book that starts by saying, oh, this is how the world was made, this is how it happened, believe in this. And you cannot question it. How can belief be the basis of anything? What is intelligence there for? Am I an animal to just believe? I'll ask questions. And if you can have answers that satisfy me, wonderful. I'll surrender. If you can have solutions that turn me silent, I'll bow down. But I won't just blindly. I won't just blindly follow. No, no, no. No blind followership. No unintelligent beliefs. No. Want to be Aztecs? Great. Yes ji we were talking about Satya, Brahma, but for a devotee of Krishna or Gyaneshwar who is in love with the form of Krishna, everything that matters to him is the Krishna as a form and nothing else. How is he similar to the one who is moving towards Satya, the formless? Think of, think of it yourself. When he says Krishna, what does he mean? What does he really mean? You can be born in a particular environment, a particular culture, you can have certain influences working on you, and you can be taught to worship a particular form. But form by itself means nothing. If I worship something, before worship, what is it that comes? I worship. What comes before worship? I. Do I know myself? If I do not know myself, why the hell am I worshipping? Who has chosen the object of worship? I. And I don't know who I am. So the object that I have chosen is obviously misplaced. I worship. What comes first? And I am in all ignorance about myself. Then how can the act of my worship be right? Before I worship, I must know who I am. Hmm? Krishna in the truest sense is truth itself. Who is Krishna? Truth itself. But to worship the truth, I must first know that I am in a lot of darkness. That's who a devotee truly is. A devotee is not someone who starts off with Bhagwan. A devotee is someone who first of all knows how badly placed he or she is. So the the the, the poet saints have sung Mosam Khan Kutil Khalkami. You remember all that? They have first of all talked of themselves. They said, Oh, look at me, full of all kinds of dosh, vikar. I'm cunning, I'm false, I'm a liar, and I'm impure. And that's when you say, I do not want to remain who I am. Hmm? I have disgust towards all the nonsense that pervades my inner self. And this nonsense. This disgust for the nonsense within becomes great love for greatness without. As much as I dislike all the weaknesses that have penetrated me, I am equally in love with greatness. And that is called worship. To worship something is to be in love with it and love that is not worship is not love at all and worship that is not love is not worship at all to worship krishna is to be in love with greatness but how will you be in love with greatness if you do not know your own smallness if you do not know your own smallness will you ever love greatness please tell me when do you love the doctor the most that's what if you do not know how badly sick you are Why will you love or respect the doctor? To love greatness, you must first of all know your smallness. So in I worship, I comes first. First of all, you must know the I, which is the smallness of the I. And then worship will follow on its own. Do you understand what we are saying? Otherwise, what is worship? You just take a form and perform rituals. Get attached. And all of that can very easily happen. But that will not yield great results. Huh? Bhakti and jnana must be one. Bhakti and jnana must be one. Devotion without understanding is simply blind. does not help. Equally understanding, not accompanied by devotion, is too dry and egoistic. It will not take you far. These two have to go together. And they will go together, if understanding is real. Can you give some example regarding Virabhai, like how she worshipped and went towards Krishna? Think of it. The form she is talking of is not even corporal. She is talking of someone who physically lived many many centuries back, a millennia back. (laughs) Think of it. So, therefore, she could not possibly be talking of a body here. Isn't it obvious? When she says, ja sar mor mukut pati sohi, Is she talking of a person? No, she is talking of Pati as Lord, something great. When you say Senapati, what does it mean? Huh? The head of the forces, the armed forces. So, what she is saying is, I accept greatness as my Lord. As my Lord. And that greatness is obviously impersonal. That greatness is obviously impersonal. Does Krishna exist in mortal form in the same way Mira does? Mira is a person, Krishna is not. Therefore, the one Mira is worshipping is impersonal. Impersonal greatness is what she is worshipping. Impersonal. Greatness is what she is worshipping. And also, she is saying only impersonal greatness, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Qualifier. No second. Only one. Just one. Just one. Exclusive. Just one. Committed to just one. What's the name of that just one? Greatness. And love for greatness has to be preceded by an acknowledgement of one's smallness. If you think, for example, that you already know everything, will you sit here and waste your time listening to me? Please tell me. So, attention to what this speaker is saying has to be preceded by an acknowledgement of your ignorance. And the more you acknowledge your ignorance, the more you'll be in love with what the speaker is saying. Provided the speaker is saying something substantial, assuming. Are you getting what I'm saying? Most devotees have no self-knowledge. It's like a patient going to a doctor and saying, I'm already healthy. What are you going to the doctor for? First of all, you must have acknowledgement of your sickness. Before you go to the doctor, you must acknowledge your sickness. And if you don't acknowledge your sickness, the doctor says, fine, go get these reports. And then the reports display in black and white how sick you are. And then you listen to the doctor, right? The doctor cannot function if you do not acknowledge that you are sick. So when you say you are devoted to somebody, do you first of all acknowledge how badly placed you are? How small and internally sick you are. Do you acknowledge that? Most devotees do not do that. Therefore, devotion does not work. I said self knowledge is a prerequisite for devotion to succeed. Does it make sense? Does it not? Simple. Huh? Self knowledge is a prerequisite for devotion to succeed. These two must always go together jnana and bhakti. They are not two separate paths, they must be one. sir you speak of fear as a problem but you say to ignore the fear isn't it related to understand the fear good yes what's your name harsh very well said harsh but you know to understand fear you will have to understand who you are that's why we are talking of the two the two if you take fear as something that happens to you it will always be a non-starter so first thing we have to know: to whom is the fear not even the question what is fear to whom is the fear who is afraid that is the question and that's what you need to understand you rightly said understanding